Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey, and I am a rich man. My stimulus check hit today. Um, my co-host, I can't even get that out with a straight face. Damn it. My co-conspirator. I am not a rich boy. man because mine did not hit today. My, my co-conspirator, as you just heard, is Michael Borky. As always, thanks for coming in and hanging out with us on a Wednesday, April, whatever the hell it is. It doesn't matter. It's Groundhog Day edition of the Rebel Report podcast. My stimulus check hit today. So that was a nice surprise. It was also payday as well. So I was really feeling it. I went to Walmart before we started recording and actually got groceries uh, and, you know, like a civilized human. Now we're back recording a little bit later today. Is your phone okay? You were telling me your phone's fried earlier this morning. Um, yeah, it is, but it's not okay, and there's nothing I can do about it because all the um, – well, there's actually one store for my provider uh, in the area, and it is closed until further notice because of the coronavirus. So I have no idea what I'm going to do. Is it something to where you can go to an Apple store or is it a cell phone provider store? Because well, someone who's I could go to an Apple phones, store. Yeah. But but it's a seven. It's an iPhone seven. And I mean, you can't even buy those anymore. So I have no idea like what the Apple store can do other than basically say, man, you got to get a new one. So did you not sneak in one more upgrade before they did away with the contracts and upgrade things? Like, I know that's it's not a thing now. But, like, I figured you might It is for my provider. Oh, so you still get upgrades? Yeah, but if I get an up, Here's the, the dilemma, is if I get an upgrade, it changes the plan and extends the contract. And the fact that we have to sign freaking contracts to get a cell phone is absurd. And the, the buyout fee is ridiculous. The only reason why I have it is because it's the, the cheapest. And until somebody starts paying for my cell phone for me, I've got to go the cheapest route. The problem is... They lock me in forever. It's like more airtight than marriage, man. I don't understand. The cell phone contracts and the NBA salary cap are two things that make very little sense to me. Uh, I'm sure there's a reason behind it, but I'm just not smart enough to figure it out from the cell phone provider's point of view. But uh, nevertheless, we are uh, we are finally up and running a little bit later recording, but whatever. I just blew all my... Yeah, that's my bad. Uh, <laughs> as if uh, as if I've never I, I made you record at 6 a.m. the last two times because I wanted to play golf so I uh, I don't think it's a much of an issue but we uh, anyway we got a packed show we've got Ole Miss added a grad transfer not grad transfer excuse me Ole Miss added a transfer from Sanford and Robert Allen we'll get into that what that means the musical chairs that is happening with the roster uh, because I think musical chairs is a good analogy because there are no more scholarships so somebody's got to go the PGA Tour announced a restart, uh, like a concrete restart date, in addition to that schedule. I guess we talked about that last week with the tentative schedule they put out. Dr. Fauci, in the most 2020 move of all time, uh, appears to have gone on some Snapchat show and said sports can happen this summer without fans. Uh, like, the, basically, the path back is for sports to happen this summer without fans. He views that as realistic, which... I haven't really read too much into it because I'm really just kind of tired of this argument and tired of like the internet having no nuance. But to me, that would seem to kill the uh, the whole no sports without a vaccine argument to some degree. But uh, why don't we just start 
uh, right at home with Ole Miss. They add a transfer from Samford, six foot eight, Robert Allen yesterday. He averaged 14 points a game, seven rebounds at Samford um, a season ago. He was kind of a late bloomer, a lightly recruited kid out of high school, really flourished. You see this a decent bit in college basketball. That's why you get so many good players at you know low major, mid major schools. Is late bloomer kid really came into his own, averaged 14 and seven, as I said. Uh, kind of a hybrid four, like he's a, I would say he's like KJ Buffin, but his perimeter game has evolved since, and or evolved a little more, kid. And I think that's happened in the last year or so, from the limited like tape I could watch from like YouTube and things like that. But can make an outside shot, good physical guy, can rebound. Uh, really, just kind of your hybrid four, and uh, I think this is a good pickup for them. Uh, what's interesting is, is I think he's going to have to sit out next year, but there is a chance if they, obviously I, no one believes that they're going to give uh, winter sport athletes a year of eligibility back, but they could benefit from loosening of the transfer rules. Like I, I think it's a possibility that you could do, see a penalty-free one-time transfer with winter sport athletes if they just kind of loosen the rules in general. But Man, as it's downright honest, likely. I mean, I... Yeah. I I think they're operating under the anticipation that it's happening. That's interesting because that was kind of what I was leading into. Aside from just his game, first and foremost, as it stands right now, he has to sit out next year. We have a conference call with Kermit Davis tomorrow morning, and I'm, I'm this will probably be the first thing I ask. But like, what are they like? Are they operating as we think it's a good chance he's going to play type of thing, or do they're going to operate as if he's going to sit out? Because I don't think, unless it's a sure thing, you can just say, yeah, we're assuming he's going to be able to play. Because if that doesn't happen and the NCAA kind of drags their feet or whatever, well, then that, that does you no good. So I tend to side with you. It seems from everything I've from read and heard, it seems somewhat likely. But uh, that's kind of an interesting position to be in because they need this type of guy next year. And there's just really no guarantee that that's going to happen. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I expect it to happen, but his shooting numbers aren't great. So explain to me, and again, the next Samford basketball game I watch uh, will be the first one. Uh, so we're kind of having to go based on other people's word and stats, but the shooting numbers don't really jump off the page at you. So is this uh, more of like just a, a depth uh, rotational piece or, or like why this guy, I guess, is the question. Because he puts the ball in the hoop, he's uh, big, and he rebounds. I think he's going to be a big contributor. I, if you're asking me right now in April whether he's going to start, I, I probably couldn't tell you that much. But I think this kid's going to be a contributor. I think he'll bring – he and uh, Dementio Vaughn will bring kind of a more of a toughness element that was lacking on this team this year. He shoots the three okay. He took a lot more in his sophomore season than he did his freshman season. But, I mean, he made you know between two and three a game – uh, really kind of was most efficient when he took between three and four from going through his game logs. He had a couple games where he'd go for six or seven, but most of those he was one for six, two for seven, something like that. He did have a game where he got hot and hit four to six. That was actually a game he scored his uh, career high 28 points uh, at UNC Greensboro, which is a really good program, uh, kind of sort of your neck of the woods but uh, have been kind of a perennial 20-win team that's been on the, the cusp of maybe – uh, securing an at-large, but probably having to win their conference tournament, that type of area. You know, East Tennessee State comes to mind when you're talking about like similar-level programs, Furman as well. 
So, yeah. but doing it against good teams doesn't take that many threes, but he's a four man that has kind of evolved a little bit of a face up game that I think has leaked out a little bit towards the three point line. But really, you know, probably mostly an 18 and foot in player that can survive on the perimeter, which is you basically where you're seeing basketball going. I mean, if you can't survive and defend on the perimeter and at least be somewhat of a threat to make an outside shot, you really just, I mean, college basketball is a little different. In the NBA, you can't play. I mean, we were talking about the Rudy Gobert thing and him being the exception the other day on the radio show. But, like, there would be certain playoff series, particularly if they matched up against the Rockets. Like, if things went bad, that dude just couldn't play in the series. So, he, I, I, it seems like from, the, from everything I've been able to gather on him in the last 24 hours, seems a little bit like K.J. Buffin, but a little bit more evolved uh, with a face-up game and around the perimeter, which... I mean, that's kind of your cookie-cutter Kermit Davis basketball player at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's two transfers now that you have the, the two qualities you mentioned, defense and rebounding, because they were just abysmal at both of those things last year. So it uh, obviously there's a pattern here with the kind of guys he's trying to add to his roster to play right away are people that will play his style of basketball, which is grind you down and, and physically kick your ass kind of basketball. Uh, versus whatever the hell last year's team was. I think that's part of it, too. Is he? he I, I think he was so frustrated in the Auburn game to me in Oxford, as if that seems like ages ago at this point, kind of crystallized this. Is Bree and Tyree, they were winning game, would have been a huge win that would have kind of maybe reversed their, their spirits and their, their fortunes a little bit in the middle of that awful January losing streak they had. They were winning the game. Uh, Bree and Tyree goes out of the game. They don't have a field goal for the last like four or five minutes of the game, and they lose in overtime. I think it was maybe double overtime. But like, I think he was so frustrated by that. He's trying to find dudes that can go put the ball in the hoop. And uh, Dementio Vaughn certainly fits that category, and Allen seems to as well. But it will also bring a little bit of a toughness and a rebounding element to it as well. The other side of this is there are no scholarships, as I mentioned. So, uh, there are, however, whatever the number of roster is, there's one fewer chairs. Someone's got to go, which I find interesting. Uh, I think you could probably guess. I mean, there's, I'm not going to say who because I don't know for a fact and I don't want to just like, it wouldn't be a complete guess, but I'm just not going to say like until it actually happens. But you could probably guess who is probably on the chopping block here, but presumably someone else has to go. You had Franco Miller and Carlos Curry predictably enter the transfer portal those two spots are taken of course by Matthew Morell and Dementia Vaughn so now you add Allen and I am not 100% convinced they're done either um, I think they need another front court guy that can rebound and score as well kind of a four or five type guy I'm not 100% convinced they're done so potentially two more but one more definitely has to go from last year's roster um, as of right now which will be kind of Interesting to see when and how that plays out. A question that a lot of people are wondering, at least according to my text messages, are Devontae Shuler. Could this be uh, a case where he just wants to go make money? And that's that's kind of a risky decision as well. I saw there was a North Carolina transfer that uh, – where where did he commit to? It doesn't matter. Um, transferring from North Carolina to somewhere, made that announcement, then decided, actually, I'm going to go play in Europe, which – that makes sense. Sometimes you just want to go make money doing something. That's right. He was a Michigan commit. Um, But that's kind of risky right now because, I mean, how do you know that you can go to Europe and play basketball in a year? 
mean, when does that start? Yeah, it's interesting because at least if you stay in college, right, they will provide for you. Like basketball and football are not getting cut. But there was a story that uh, broke yesterday. Maybe we'll get to it on, on the radio show that Cincinnati's really the first. We can call them a major athletic department. I mean, they're certainly not small uh, to cut a sport due to directly tied to the coronavirus. Cincinnati is not even close to being the only one. It's going to be men's soccer, mostly men's sport, if we're being honest. Uh, but like soccer, uh, gymnastics, volleyball, those kind of sports, they're going to golf um, are going to get cut at a lot of places. Basketball won't be that one. So it's the risk not going to Michigan to go to Europe where, where there may not be a league and there may be no money. At least if you went to Michigan and there was no basketball, you would still get a scholarship and like have a place that would provide you necessities in life. It, it's a risk, but it's an option. As far as Schuler goes, I would actually like, I think it's, I guess it's, I think he ends up coming back, but I also think, I don't think it's just a professional possibility. I think there would be an outside shot, particularly with, uh, with his brother playing college hoops as well, that he would potentially, like, I think it's still a, a, certainly a possibility he would go to another school. I don't necessarily see that happening at this point, but I do think that's something to monitor. I don't think it's just G League or Europe for Schuler. I think there's an outside shot. You know, maybe if he, he and his brother go to the same place, I'm not sure. That's just kind of some rumblings I've heard. So I don't think it would, I don't think Schuler necessarily, if you're talking about like who's going to go, like they're not pushing Schuler out. Like you can guess the, the one or two candidates here that are going to get shoved out here to make room for uh, Allen. I just am, I don't think Schuler necessarily factors into that. But another side to keep in mind here is if they do ease the the one the transfer rules and they allow one-time penalty-free transfer for college basketball players heading into this season, that is something that could impact not only Schuler but possibly a couple other guys on the roster just because the possibility is there. I mean, that, that would really go for pretty much anyone in any major program anywhere in the country, right? I mean, like that would kind of completely – like that would make a bunch of different guys think, and I think that would certainly factor, uh, factor into Devontae Schuler's uh, uh, decision as well. I think Schuler ends up coming back next year, but I don't think it's a it's a hundred percent a given at this point, and something to monitor going forward. But anyway, he's expected to sign. I believe the signing period, what I think for hoops started today. He and Vaughn are supposed to sign. Matthew Morell signed back in the fall. So uh, interesting, interesting, uh, interesting kind of roster. Uh, building from Kermit Davis here in the natural roster attrition you'd see. And it'll even kind of even get more fascinating if they add one more because I think it'll come in the front court. Because right now you feel pretty good with Schuler, Jarkel, Joyner, and Morell as your guards. You know, Vaughn is kind of a combo guard as well. So I think they feel pretty good with their backcourt. I think they would need to add one more guy that can rebound and preferably be a little bit more of a uh, of a consistent scoring threat. <sighs> Man, it's tough right now, too. And all those things you mentioned, and they're having to do this while not being able to go see these kids and have them take visits. So I, I guess good on them for landing these two transfers, but it's got to be tough right now. Yeah, I would think recruiting is definitely tough. But as we talked about last week, like the transfer market as opposed to recruiting kids out of high school is probably a little bit easier, particularly with grad transfers, which I know – uh, Allen is not, but like, I imagine it's, it's a, uh, it's a little bit easier for a grad transfer kid to be like, Hey, come play here for a year. Cause it's like, if you're there going to play as a grad transfer for a year, you can handle, you know, 
campus not feeling like home and putting out the quote to the rivals fans or the, just whatever rivals 247 site that says they made me feel like family or I felt at home. You could survive there for six, seven months without that having to be the case. But yeah, I imagine recruiting's tough. I mean, for most, most of these teams heading into next year, most of the hay is in the barn. Not definitely not all. Um, in some cases it is, but yeah, I imagine it, it's certainly difficult and changes the way you do things, but hell, I mean, that's, that's the case for football too. You've got all these, you know, these, these schools and these coaching staffs promoting these like virtual recruiting things. And, you know, we're in Dallas today or Fort Worth or whatever. And like, it's just, it's kind of weird time seeing that online. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, does college basketball next year happen as scheduled? It, just a guess. I, know, I mean, I know a lot of people are, are speculating or speaking in definitively, but just a guess, just because we're talking basketball and what the team could look like next year. Do you think they play like as scheduled with no adjustment? Uh, I don't. Hell, I, that I, requires I, a November start, right? Uh, yes. So honestly, I don't know. I'd like to see what happens with football first. Yeah. My guess would be that they basketball starts as normal in November. Just a guess. That's all it is. But that would be my optimistic guess. But just kind of looking at the returning roster next year, you return uh, Hadim C. You return Sammy Hunter. You return uh, who am I missing here? Oh, Sean Robinson, who redshirted this past year, would would have should have could have whatever I'm trying to say would have been a senior in high school. Um, you know, like I said, they feel pretty decent about the backcourt. As for now, Dude Column is returning. Reading that, what you will got Blake Henson, KJ Buffin. They got a chance to be a pretty decent athletic team if the kind of the the question marks in the backcourt. And I'm talking about whether Joiner is as good of a scorer as you keep hearing from the coaching staff and people around the program. And Matthew Morell, who I watched some tape on him the last couple of days, is a really interesting wing two guard that can shoot and is really good in transition. So I think if, if you kind of answer the questions in the backcourt, uh, kind of absent or life after Bree and Tyree, they could have a pretty decent team next year. It'll certainly be different. And uh, I think they'll, I'll go out on a limb and say they'll be a little bit tougher and a little bit better on the road uh, than they were this year. They need to be um, because it feels, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. It feels like they don't really have the scores to not be a very tough uh, basketball team next year, like, and that's the the style of play that he's always implemented is the the grinded out tough kind of basketball team. I don't think they have the scores to do it any other way anyway. Uh, wait, so sorry, say that again. You cut out for a second. I don't think they have these scorers to play any other way besides that grinded-out defense, that Kermit Davis style that you mentioned, if they wanted to do it another way, I don't think they could, even if they tried. I just think they don't like – they. I, I just think they were bad defensively last year. And that, you know, I mean, that, that team that made the NCAA tournament wasn't always great defensively, but they were pretty good at creating turnovers, and they had a lot of easy baskets in transition. And while I think they have the pieces to be able to kind of get out and do that, you got to be able to defend too. And I think that was really – and rebound as well. And that was really kind of the letdown with this group. I mean, they missed Luis Rodriguez some, but they just were kind of soft. They had way too many defensive lapses. And that really just led to them. That's why you saw so many non-competitive games, particularly on the road, because there were some nights they just wouldn't show up at all defensively. And it was just kind of like, okay, now you're down 17-4, you know, four and a half minutes into the game. You're, I mean, if you're playing a halfway decent team on the road, 
you're just kind of sunk. But yeah, I think they could, I think they could still be a pretty good, pretty athletic team in the backcourt. I just I think he got so frustrated last year at the lack of a score behind Tyree. I think he got so frustrated with how they played on the interior that he's going to find a couple dudes that are going to be tough, rebound, and put the ball in the rim. So I think probably maybe one more coming um, that they feel pretty good about here in the next day or two. And so that would mean you probably got two more guys uh, exiting the roster. So, um, you know, I mean, it's all this. I mean, they're the likely candidates. Is it, you know, Bryce Williams? Is it dude column? Like you felt decent about Bryce Williams, but you forget there was a stretch there in December where they were playing Franco Miller, who leaving the program, I mean, he got processed, uh, was playing over Bryce Williams because they couldn't get Williams to defend anybody. Now that didn't end up sticking around past like the end of January, but like, that was, I mean, like Williams didn't exactly have a strong campaign there that would make you feel great about it. Uh, I think the younger guys, Crowley and uh, Sammy Hunter, they obviously feel pretty good about where they're at. Skill set-wise, the game just kind of overwhelmed them last year. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But you could probably figure out uh, who is coming back and, and who is not. But particularly if they add one more, that's going to be a fascinating thing to me just to kind of see what the roster uh, finally looks like. So... Anyway, they had Robert Allen. Uh, they feel decent about one more coming. I guess it's possible that it doesn't happen and they stay put, but uh, we shall see. Uh, let's see. Let's take a break here before we get to the next thing. Remind you, podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. No better time to support local businesses. You can grill out. We've got some good weather days coming, it looks like, or at least from what I saw on my weather app this morning. Um Go enjoy the quarantine responsibly, social distance, throw something on the grill, hang out, enjoy the weather, and forget that there are no sports and other, uh, or really anything else on television. But he's got steaks, custom cut sausages. The ribeye sausage is one of the finer things in the world. Um, daily specials. He's got ready-made-to-go things if you want to feed the family on the way home and don't feel like cooking. A lot of ground beef-based things. I got some meatloaf a couple weekends ago. It was fantastic. But uh, he'll hook you up. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Really appreciate Greg sponsoring the show. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Okay, what should we uh, what should we hit next here? I found the PGA Tour thing fascinating. And then uh, when I woke up this morning, I saw that Dr. Fauci had made news. I guess we'll start out there because I imagine, like, I wonder if Dr. Fauci is tired of seeing his name literally everywhere he turns. I know this is, like, his job. But now he's asking questions like he's asking questions about like when sports will come back and stuff. And I'm not saying that's not his realm of expertise, but uh, he is covering a wide range of media outlets and uh, I guess media lanes. And I, I wonder if that's <laughs> got to get exhausting. It does. But, man, it's it's so funny that we talked about it the other day that just the differing in articles that we saw from the same publication uh, USA Today. Well, you had the same thing again this morning. In Sports Illustrated, although this article is five days old, Sports Illustrated tweeted an article, and the headline is Bursting the Bubble, Why Sports Aren't Coming Back Soon, with the subhead, The NBA, NFL, and MLB are dreaming up ways to play amid a pandemic. With talk of isolating players in Arizona or Las Vegas or maybe on the moon, it all sounds great until you talk to people who actually know science. Same publication, same day. Dr. Anthony Fauci, colon, pro sports can potentially return this summer without fans. So you have this condescending subhead about if you talk to people who actually know science, it's not happening. And then the leading guy here says, yeah, it can happen. The same publication, 
the same day, two completely opposite thoughts. Yeah, I don't really like. I don't really have a problem with them, like the Sports Illustrated, having two opposite like stories covering two opposite things because they're both. Well, it's the one, condescending the tone of the one that bothers me. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was getting at as well. It's also like, and we, I feel like this is the most tired argument in the entire this entire quarantine. But it's also like it's not just a science decision, like. The whole, like, the virus decides this. Well, yeah, largely to some degree, but there's also a, 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 a shit ton of money here at stake. You know, there's economic ramifications. And, yes, that pertains to sports as well about, you know, people being employed versus unemployed. Like, it's not just strictly science. Like, yes, that is probably – I mean, not probably. That definitely carries a ton more weight than just, hey, there's a bunch of money on the table. We got to play. But it's not just a science decision, and I think people that are like, look at what these scientists are saying. Like, well, yes, the scientists aren't also in charge of making sure you know fifty-five thousand jobs in the NBA are kept or retained or whatever. Like, there's just more to it than that. So, a scientist is like, yeah, probably not a great idea to play sports. Like, like what that? Like, no, no. Like, he's looking at it, I guess, from the purely like medical side. I guess is what I'm saying. There's just more nuance to it than just like, oh, this scientist says this probably shouldn't happen. Like, yeah, okay. we're not allowed to have nuance anymore. I mean, that, that's just, that doesn't exist. But I've also seen, um, I guess it was a reaction to the Fauci thing, uh, where I saw a, a few blue check mark sports writers say, I mean, for God's sake, can we get testing for everybody first? And it's like, click the article and read for a little bit before you react. None of these plans happen. Major League Baseball, NHL, NBA do not happen without widely accessible testing. All of them have said it everywhere. You can read something about this. That is an important point that they all make. This does not happen without widespread accessible testing. That's why major league baseball is investing in it. That's why the NBA is investing in it. I don't know if you've seen it. They're not like the sexy stories to talk about, but um, they're both actively engaged in investing and making sure that test testing is widespread because they don't get to play, even in these bubbles, without everybody who needs it or wants it having an access or having access to a test. So just like click the link and read for a little bit, and you might see that Major League Baseball is working with medical people, the CDC, to make sure that they can do this. And also they're investing a shit ton of money in making sure that there's widespread testing so they're not getting preferential treatment. That is in the articles that you comment on if you just read them. So what was the I, – I, admittedly, I only saw, like, the clip and headline of the Fauci thing. Did you read into that? Like, what I, – I saw that come across my ticker before we were originally going to start recording, and then, like, I just kind of got distracted. Like, what exactly happened here? He just went on a Snapchat show and was like – Yeah, hey, here, I've got the story up, so I'll, I'll make sure I get every detail uh, correct. He was on – uh, Peter Hamby's Snapchat channel. Who's Peter Hamby? He's a journalist. Peter Hamby is a political journalist uh, with CNN. So he was on with a CNN uh, reporter through a Snapchat series, and he was asked about uh, sports getting back, and he said, quote, there's a way of doing that. Nobody comes to the stadium. Put the players in big hotels, wherever you want to play, keep them very well surveilled, have them tested weekly and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family and let them play the season out. 
That's what he said. And he also said he wants to see them play again. For whatever that's worth to you, he's uh, apparently a sports fan. Yeah, I mean, that just kind of tells me what, like, like. well, I guess I guess that says a couple of things, and one of them being the, uh, the biodome building a bubble idea that the NBA and the MLB have uh, kind of floated out there in media circles only to receive a large amount of blowback, that it's not nearly as ridiculous as, as some have made, I guess, have made it out to be to where this seems like an actual viable option and you have kind of the renowned virus expert saying, yeah, that's certainly uh, possible. And I guess the second part of it, which these two are kind of, uh, you know, bound together a little bit, that really nixes the idea of, uh, sorry, no sports until there's a vaccine, which I never really bought into that anyway, because most people that said that were blowhearted, just like everyone else, they didn't know shit. Man, there is no possible way. And I know this, this isn't me speculating. There is no possible way that we will not reopen society for another 18 months. That, that It's impossible. That will not happen. You, you may think that we need to wait or whatever. That's not happening. We are not on, on this lockdown for another 18 months. There's no way. We, th- that will wreck everybody. Everybody. It's not happening. <laughs> I saw a story yesterday, and I'm not doing the Trump CNN fake news thing. Like, every outlet out there is is guilty of some form of this. But, like, I saw CNN a CNN story that just said we might be practicing social distancing till 2022. And it's like, come on, get out of here with that shit. Like, there's just no possible way that that's going to happen. Like, 2022, we're going to do this for two more years? Like, if you told me that handshaking is an arrestable offense until 2022, I'd probably buy that before this whole social distancing thing is going to happen until 2022. Right. This is just a prediction. It's nonsense. And this is just a prediction on my part. But they are going to slowly get everything back to normal. And for a while, it's going to be eerie. Like, for I don't know if you've been to the grocery store lately, but if you have— You've noticed that there are like lines on the floor to keep people away from each other. Like, hey, stop here if there's somebody at the checkout line. Everybody's wearing masks. Like, you will have people in masks and gloves and still social distancing while out for a very long time. Like, there, it's not like they're just going to say, you know what? Country back open in two weeks. Everybody just start hanging out and kissing each other again. No, it. It'll be a slow revelation, and it will come with provisions, and you will have to wear a mask, and you should, for a while, and gloves, and you're still going to be washing your hands like crazy and still separating yourselves from people, and they're not going to let loud, uh, large crowds gather places. But this, this thought or this belief that we're just going to shut everything down for another year and a half is just absurd. It's not going to happen. The second part of this is the PGA Tour last night announced a uh, a kind of con- somewhat I guess it's a concrete date to uh, to resume, which is uh, the first tournament would actually be in Fort Worth at Colonial, which is now called the Charles Swap Challenge. Which one completely unrelated sidebar? The PGA Tour has got to do a better job of like like marketing these. I don't even know what they. I guess what I'm saying here for whatever how many years these senior tours season-long points thing their version of the fedex cup points was the charles schwab cup and now when you see charles schwab challenge you assume it's a senior tour event i don't they need to make my dumb brain be able to decipher that easier i don't understand that so like when they change sponsors i guess maybe like 
send us like a coloring book or a picture book to match the event with the sponsor so I don't get confused. Um, but that was super confusing reading through that halfway paying attention last night. But anyway, the Colonial event in Fort Worth would be the first one to come back June 11th through 14th without fans. And then they would play a schedule. I'm not going to read all of this, but I mean, it would basically have, I think they're trying to get something in the date in mid-June where the U.S. Open would have been. And then after that, you'll go Travelers, Rocket Mortgage, John Deere, Memorial, uh, 3M Championship, the St. Jude, which is, I guess, good news uh, for Memphis to some degree. Uh, Barracuda, and then basically kind of somewhat a normal schedule after that, absent the majors, and they'll have some wiggle room because the weeks that the U.S. Open and the uh, Open Championship are supposed to be, you won't have events. So if you want to add another event and slot something else and reschedule something else in those two slots, you have some flexibility. But the PGA Tour appears like pretty hell-bent on uh, revamping this thing up back in mid-June, which uh, I wouldn't have had my money on golf being the first to come back when we were talking about it. Uh, I guess I don't really know why. That's kind of dumb of me because you're outside, you're uh, you know apart. You don't have to have a gallery. Like I guess that was the obvious one that was kind of just under our nose. But man, can you imagine if they're the first one to come back? That that tournament at Colonial in Fort Worth is going to be a, a viewership bonanza. It'll be huge. It'll be absolutely huge, and um, and it'll be met with. Some critics, I imagine, it feels like they may be the first ones back and, and they're setting a concrete date. And um, I mean, you're going to have the people online that will say if it's not safe for fans, then it's not safe for players either. And and I understand where that's coming from. But also you can. It's not like the players are hanging out in the gallery with thousands of people and you know well, where, they, where they are and where they came from and, and you can test them. It's just. It's a lot more nuanced than, well, if uh, you can't have 60,000 people there, then you can't have 100 people there. Well, well, golf has made anything abundantly clear is that it does not give a shit about the centrist to left-leaning online like criticism or backlash or whatever. Like Almost to the point of being tone-deaf into a fault. Golf has never caved to the proverbial mob, I guess, as people like to say. So I don't, I don't envision that blowback being an issue for them if it exists. No, and, and it'll only be online people, man. That, that's what it will be because most people are capable of of nuance and understanding. It's a unique situation, and and nobody likes what is happening here. And the virus is is serious. It really, it's a serious thing. There are measures that you can take to protect a smaller group of people and continue to do things, then, I mean, that possibility exists. Like, you can do that, and it's easier to do that than monitoring 60,000 people that are all bumping elbows with each other. I I don't understand why people can't see that. The, the if it's not safe for fans, it's not safe for players argument is too simple. There are layers to it. Football is a different sport. And, and unique. There's a lot more people involved in, in putting on a football game. I mean, even in the NFL, the rosters are significantly bigger. There are more people on the field during a football game than there are in an NBA game on both teams, basically. So it's different. But this idea that if it's, I just, I don't know where that's coming from. If it's not safe for 100,000 people to pack into Bryant Denny, it's not safe for the players on the field either. And college is a little bit different than the NFL, so maybe that's not the best example. However, 
you can closely monitor and test and be aware of who the players have been with and if they have it or not. You cannot do that with 100,000 people or 20,000 people. There's layers to it. It's not just that simple. And, I mean, you're not smart for, for having that opinion. The, uh, if, the, if golf is able to do this and they restart June 11th through 14th, and you can't, if they're able to play out the rest of the season, whether it be with or out fans uh, as planned, the PGA Tour, I believe, uh, unless I'm really missing something, would be kind of the least affected sport by this whole thing. Because if you start June 11th through 14th, you get uh, – I exited out of it, so I don't have the event in front of, uh, the event list in front of me anymore. You know, if you get all of these events in, I mean, you get 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 – 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 16 events in on top of however many they played this year. And you get the in, included in those is every major except uh, the Open Championship, which is just not going to happen until uh, 2021. And you get the Ryder Cup. I mean, for a global pandemic that's caused a lot of damage worldwide, the PGA Tour really just didn't take. I mean, you talk about like damage control. I would say that's pretty good damage control for golf and the PGA Tour. I mean, that's not a normal PGA Tour season by any means, but it's not as like it does. The sport does not look drastically different. Like I'm afraid some of these will. Like I, I would say, I would call that a win overall if this schedule and this plan is able to be like kind of seen to fruition for the PGA Tour. I would, I would consider that a huge win. Yeah, they just uh, nobody can get it though because it shuts everything down. Uh, I mean, that's that's the needle they've got to thread, right? Is uh, you okay? Can't... Couldn't golf? Couldn't okay? Uh, on those, that's an interesting point though. Couldn't golf though? Like, if one guy tested positive, like, because I, I would imagine uh, for any of this to restart, like rapid, like we talked about this with the NBA and the MLB, uh, like, like testing, like daily testing has to be a necessity here, right? Because like you couldn't do this like with no, you like, you could not do it without readily available and accessible testing so, whenever needed. Okay, so along those lines, golf's a little bit different. Obviously, like the NBA season was part of the reason they shut it down. I mean, it was getting shut down anyway. But like, if Rudy Gobert got it, you couldn't just quarantine the Jazz for two weeks. Or if they all tested negative, you couldn't just be like, sorry, you can't play without Gobert. Could golf just be like, sorry, this dude can't play in the events, but everyone else can? Because it's not a team sport, and one guy getting it, aside from spreading it to others, like assuming that doesn't happen, like wouldn't necessarily affect anyone else. Like, could you just tell one guy, like, sorry, you're not coming back until like, you know, two weeks or whatever, and just not play a couple of events and the show go on? It depends on how uh, careful they are, because if all these dudes are sharing the same locker room and stuff, then you'd probably have to shut it all down. Yeah, I would imagine they would do something about that. I bet they would make players pretty much do everything at their like hotels. arrive ready. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I would. I mean, the rich ones, like, I mean, the guys that are well off on tour, like if I'm a Mickelson or someone, like. Whether or not you're playing with without fans, regardless, for the next little bit, I'd buy one of those nice ass motorhomes and just have that on site everywhere. Like, not I get not everyone can do the Tiger Woods. I'm going to pull my yacht up to the U.S. Open and stay on that for a week and a half. But like, if I were a well-off tour player that's already made it, I'm probably just buying one of those and chilling out in one of those for a while because I would feel better about that than a hotel room too. Yeah, for sure, and, and that's what makes this difficult. I mean, it's not easy to do. Uh, that that is certainly not what we're saying here. Um, it, it's extremely difficult, but I think they 
will be able to pull it off if, if they deem it necessary. I just there's so many layers to this conversation, and, and I feel like we get so so repetitive. But it's just you have people that talk about it as if it's black and white, and I, I just I I disagree with that line of thinking so much. It's just it's not that simple. It it is not as simple as well. We don't need sports. Uh, find another way to entertain yourself. Honestly, I don't really care. If we never get it back, I'll be okay. If we don't get it back for 18 months, I will be okay. I may not have a job. I'll probably have to uh, continue accepting Trump checks, even though mine never came in. However, like my personal well-being will survive without sports for a while. My self-esteem isn't driven from sports being played. But... There are people whose livelihoods are directly tied up into these games existing. And uh, it, it was actually a really good point made on Twitter uh, by Rebel Grove's Neil McCready about college football specifically. I think this is an excellent point of it's you, college. It doesn't make sense for most college football teams to play without fans. Like Southern Miss, for example, I know we kind of pick on them a little bit in this regard, but they're a perfect example of this. Uh, they have. I think it's the 125th largest budget in college athletics. They have a very small budget, shoestring budget. They, I mean, they rely on their pay games with Alabama to, to get by. Southern Miss playing football without fans doesn't make any sense at all because their television contract is, I mean, virtually non-existent. They, they make their money on having 17,000-ish people come to seven home games. That's really where they're making money. Ole Miss and Mississippi State are different. They draw forty plus million dollar checks from the SEC. That certainly, that certainly helps. Now, sixty thousand people showing up to the stadium—it's a lot of money. But it would make a little bit more sense for Ole Miss and Mississippi State to play without fans because they're valuable in the television market. Southern Miss is not. So college football rushing back to play without fans doesn't make sense. It makes more sense for them to start in January with an all-clear to where people can show up than it would to start in September with no fans. I think that's an excellent point. It's different with um, Major League Baseball and, and the NBA and NHL. Most of their money's tied up in television dollars, the NBA especially. So if they have to play without fans, that's fine. I mean, they'll take it because they make so much money in television that, yeah, they won't, I mean, they'll lose on the, like, in-arena revenue side, but it's far more important that they come back and play as soon as they can for television dollars than it is for most of college football to come back and play uh, for television dollars. Yeah, college, I mean, I would even go further than that and say it doesn't really make a ton of sense for, like, a school, I mean, like, any school to play college football without fans, Particularly when the dudes that are on the field aren't getting paid, and I'm not going like the oh like death to the NCA route on this one here. It's just like like bad optics, whatever you want to call it. Like it's a much weirder look when you're rolling amateur athletes out there to play football, so the schools can have TV money. They don't see a dime of it, and there's no fans in the stands. Like that's a much different deal than paid professionals doing that as well. I just don't really see it. I saw uh, this actually just came across my time on my feed. Uh, as we were doing it, Ben Garrett, Old Miss Spirit, had a story. Uh, I think it's just aggregating from a Tennessee news, t- a Tennessee radio uh, hit 
that I think it's out of Knoxville that Lane Kiffin did. He basically said the conversation is a waste of time. Like that, like there's no way to play college football without fans. I would actually seem to agree there because college football is unique. Um, particularly obviously college sport versus pro sport. You have the whole football versus like any other type sport and then how close fans are and how many of them there are. It's just, it's different and unique. I would agree. I don't see them playing college football in empty stadiums this year. Maybe they end up happening because there's too much TV money on the line. But if you're making me bet that it's either all or nothing for one sport, like out college football would be the one I would bet that would not play in empty, empty I was about to say empty arenas, empty gyms. Yeah. The, the I did it again, damn it, empty stadiums. I just said gyms, <laughs> stadiums, empty stadiums. And the towns can't afford that either. I mean, if you if you told Oxford, well, we're going to play football, but nobody's going to show up, or you guys be have to— the same serve. as them playing no football. Right. Or you guys, I mean, you have to make it a few more months this way, but come January, people are going to show up again. Uh, they'll take option two, please and thank you. Um, and aside from all the the the, the Darren Ravel type studies, I will be interested to see. Just say like there's there just say by October or whatever football season, there's like a treatment thing. Are people going to be reluctant to come to these things? I imagine elderly people I think so. probably would. But like, what does that look like? Like, because college football is already having a bit of an attendance issue, or really just sports in general. Like, like that's probably not going to help that. But if they are allowed back in the stadiums, I'm interested to see. Uh, to see how packed they are. Um, if I were Keith Carter, I would probably try to get out in front of the, uh, see, I knew all this was going to happen in November when I made a coaching change. So we were particularly interesting and bring people to the stadium. I would spend that. Think about if they still had Matt Luke as their head coach right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the crowds would be, I mean, if there were allowed to be crowds, who buddy. Bruce Feldman said that, uh, an athletic director told him that, um, He's worried about college football. If they play games with no fans, that fans will realize that uh, it's better to watch the games from at home and they'll be less inclined to come back. And I replied, man, if he's just now worried about that, it's too late. Because <laughs> that's already happening. Uh, if you're not prepared already and understanding that people are staying home in larger numbers every year, then uh, you probably shouldn't be an athletic director right now. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, wake up, dude. Like, where have you been the last half decade as people have been realizing this? Um, but that's interesting. So let me uh, ask you this. Uh, apparently there's a walk-off in, in Taiwanese baseball today. The uh, Rakuten Monkeys uh, hit a, a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 12th today. Honestly, uh, sidebar there, I, don't, I haven't seen their uniforms, but if they had, like, American-style uniforms, and I don't mean that, like, a bad way. I just know, like, it seems like a lot of international places have a lot more, like, sponsors and, like, diff- like their uniform styles are different. You could make a sweet monkey logo if you wanted to, particularly in baseball. But anyway, <laughs> proceed. Um, they have no fans in the stands. Uh, are their players isolated in some kind of bubble? I would have to actually look that up. I I don't uh, I don't know. I don't know the situation there. See, uh, it, and, and there, but there's my that, my point right there is uh, Taiwan is a, is a good place by and large, uh, better than China anyway. I know they're technically part of China, but you understand the nuances of uh, Asian politics. They're doing it right now. So why do we have people here that are saying it's not possible? I, I'm watching high. I've got a highlight in front of me right now of a walk-off home run in an empty stadium. Why is that 
somehow impossible here, but an established place like Taiwan is doing it there. Well, I don't know. Did Taiwan get hit by this as hard? Like, I wonder how, like, like what is the, like, are they more South Korea? Or are they more uh, China? Like, I wonder of uh, how much that plays into I mean, Taiwan is a, a, an island off the coast of China. Yeah, I don't know. That's a decent point. But, like, does the island have an effect? Because I remember one of the initial NBA stories when I read about creating a biodome is that Hawaii was an option just because it was kind of far away, isolated island type thing. Does that make a difference? I don't know. We're getting in over our skis here, but I'm just kind of like wondering out loud. But Taiwan, um, they didn't have many cases at all. Seeing uh, but seeing real baseball is pretty sweet. Like that's incredible. Yeah, even just clips of it. Like I'm I'm not going to be that guy. But yeah, I watched the like the Taiwanese whatever it's called, game on the stream. Not going to do that. I got stuff to do throughout the day before, you know, we do radio and stuff. But, uh, like, just seeing clips of it is uh, is definitely, definitely cool because, like, you just miss the action of it. Like, like just seeing baseball and games being played. You know, I wonder if all this is going to make us, that time, like, if you know, five years, two years from now, whatever, or maybe this time next year, when you get into the dead part of the season and there's no nothing but baseball, like are people going to complain as much about there only being baseball from July to August? Because I would watch, you know, three, four baseball, and I guess I'm not the greatest example because I like baseball anyway. But like as a casual sports fan, I imagine people would be clamoring for just a bunch of August slate baseball games right now. People would consume the hell out of that. Like I'm just I'm going to take less for granted. I guess is what I'm saying, which is not profound by any means. But like I would kill for a boring August night with 12 baseball games and nothing else on at this point. That's for sure. I just, man, there's just so many questions. Like you said, no answers, but um, I I think the important thing that I keep going back to, it it is far more layered and nuanced than most everybody I've seen or read uh, gives it credit for. It's more layered and nuanced from the people that really want to get sports back. It's more complicated than some people are leading on that. Oh, yeah, just put them in a bubble and play that way. It's more complex than that, uh, without a doubt. But it's also more – go ahead. Oh, no, no, finish your thought. Go ahead. Uh, It's just – and it's also more complex than uh, if you can't have a stadium full of fans, it's not safe for the players either. Well, there's more layers to it. Uh, than that everything requires nuance in these kind of times and i'm just you don't see enough of it i would uh i would certainly agree with that another uh another non like pandemic infused like news story here that makes me uh makes me feel like the lb's pick will be back sooner than later is that christian mccaffrey got an ass load of money the other day, I think since the last time we did a podcast, what are the figures? It was 16 million a year over the next like four or five years. He's in like the 70, 80 million guarantee range, correct? Yeah, his uh, highest paid running back ever. That's interesting to what that does to the quarterback, excuse me, running back market and this kind of whole like devaluation of running backs uh, type of thing. Because if there's ever an asterisk or an exception to be made for a running back, it's Christian McCaffrey. He is not your typical running back with what he does out of the slot and just really other things other than run the football than he does out of the backfield here that I could justify this contract, but I'm probably not justifying this for Alvin Kamara or Zeke Elliott. But like 
that doesn't mean that those those players and those agents and those camps are going to be wrong for using this contract uh, as kind of leverage or a sticking point in contract negotiations. I just wonder, like you always get these wild card contracts that just blow up a positional market in the NFL and just kind of skew everything. I mean, how you saw it with quarterback money and and dudes like Kirk Cousins getting twenty eight million dollars a year. I wonder what uh, I wonder what this does to the whole paying uh, paying running backs narrative because uh, I'm trying to make sure I have everything that's right here. One, one, Christian McCaffrey has not missed a. I guess he's probably missed one game. He's played 16 games all three years he's been in the NFL. I don't know if that includes playoff games because I know one year at least they went to the playoffs. So I'm wondering if he missed one in whatever that season was. But he's at 48 games through three years. He's had. He's had a thousand yards uh, rushing at le- each of the last two years, and he's had at least eight hundred and fifty yards receiving each of the last two years. He's basically at twenty five hundred. He's twenty nine hundred yards his first three seasons rushing in the NFL. Twenty five hundred receiving, like, like if that's not evidence enough that he does, like he does more than pretty much any other back in the NFL. Like I don't know what is, but like, what does this do to the running back market? Hopefully nothing. Uh, I saw a video where Alvin Kamara, uh, they were live streaming Call of Duty uh, when the news broke and Kamara got very excited and the guys he was playing with um, were congratulating him, uh, which I thought it was funny, but you don't have to set the market. And so that, that's the one I'm most focused on, obviously, is the Saints and Kamara. But this should not be, well, since McCaffrey got 16, Kamara should get 17. You don't have to do that. Uh, but it scares me thinking that they might. Um, I'm surprised they did it. As good as McCaffrey is, um, their win rate when he's got his highest usage is not very good. Uh, running the go, Having your offense go through a running back, a, a highly paid running back in the NFL recently has not led to wins. I mean, the stats nerds will tell you that even a guy as good as Christian McCaffrey has not changed the Panthers' win probability at all. As good as he is, it's all about the quarterback. The Panthers had their best year with McCaffrey in the lineup when Cam Newton was healthy. They had their best games, their highest win probability, when it was the quarterback making the difference not the running back. So it's the same thing in New Orleans. I mean, Alvin Kamara was hurt most of last year, definitely not himself. They still won 13 games, and five of which they played with Teddy Bridgewater instead of Drew Brees. So that that's what scares me is it, this idea that, you, oh, well, you got to set the market. You got to set the market. That scares me because you don't and shouldn't set the market with Alvin Kamara because as good as he is, and he's really freaking good, you're going to win games in the NFL by having exceptional quarterback play, really good wide receivers, and competence at the running back spot. Having an elite running back and average wide receivers and quarterbacks don't win you any games. Having an elite quarterback and having average wide receivers and running backs wins you a bunch of games. You don't have to pay that much for them. Here's the argument for the Panthers to do it, and it really doesn't pertain to any other NFL team. One, I'd say the flip side of that, while I think you're right, is like, one, I don't think they're, like, like 
does he thrive more when you have a more traditional quarterback? Because as good and as special as Cam Newton is, he was far from a traditional quarterback in the way you call plays and the way you do things because he's inaccurate as a passer. Like he just with that big of a physical specimen, his inaccuracies and the other things he does well that aren't necessarily conventional. It's not a normal offense. And two, you just paid a decent amount of money, although it'd be a pretty affordable contract to a veteran-ish but yet kind of unproven quarterback. I would just make damn sure you have a couple of playmakers around him. And that guy, if you just try to like, if you want to throw out all like actual logic and just like like and just go buzzwords. Christian McCaffrey is the definition of a playmaker and you can do so many different things. Like I would want that next to an unproven quarterback. If I'm trying to kind of shift gears as a franchise, so that would be the argument for it as it pertains to every other team. Like it's a whole different ball game. I mean, the Alvin Kamara, the, I'm trying to think what other running back I imagine Dalvin cook is when I want to get paid here. Saquon Barkley. Barkley is another one. Uh, you know, I mean, there's more evidence to suggest it's not going to work, and I think uh, I think McCaffrey's a bit of an outlier here. But I found the contract interesting because what he's now the richest running back in NFL history, right? That's right, and we're about to find out what uh, he's like with a traditional quarterback. I know Teddy Bridgewater's he's athletic. I mean, he, he can run a little bit, and uh, showed you in those five games that uh, when the pocket breaks down, he's pretty mobile. But he's a traditional quarterback. He's going to stand in the pocket, distribute the football, not make many mistakes. Um, he's a smart guy. Good. I mean, good quarterback. So we'll see how effective McCaffrey is when you have, as you mentioned, the more traditional quarterback. And that's what Bridgewater is. Also, if completely, uh, completely side note that has nothing to do with anything else. Uh, the fact that Christian McCaffrey was never more in the Heisman mix, I think is all evidence you need that there is a West Coast bias with the award because no one's up to watch those games. Like watching what that dude actually – like did you actually pay attention to what Christian McCaffrey did at Stanford on a consistent basis? Like I knew he was good, but man, if that guy's in the Southeastern Conference, like it's a, he's he has a whole other level of stardom, and I yeah. think he would have been talked about differently as a college football player. He's case number one for people that don't believe that West Coast teams kind of get screwed on that. He would have won by a similar margin that Burrow won this year. Yeah, I mean, he was he was unbelievable. And, like, he's done nothing but produce since he got to the NFL. Let's see. Christian McCaffrey college stats. So, uh, hmm. His sophomore, well, so 2015, he rushed for 2,019 yards on six yards per carry and had 645 receiving yards on 14 per reception. That is 2,664 yards from scrimmage. In three fewer games in 2016, he had 1,900 yards from scrimmage in three fewer games. He averaged 6.2 per carry and 12.2 per catch in his college career. Yeah, but not uh, not 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 good enough to be really in the thick of the Heisman conversation, I don't suppose. But yeah, unbelievable. Like, but anyway, good for him. He's a rich man. The uh, one random thing I was talking like one of the last things we had, we were talking about the Chinese or Taiwan Professional Baseball League. Uh, I just saw the video of the walk off. They have, they have, it appears on the front row of some of their seats that are visible from like the normal camera angles. They have cardboard cutouts of fans. And uh, I thought yep. them adding mass to the cutout, uh, cardboard cutout of fans was a classy touch. 
<laughs> Have you seen this? Yeah, it's pretty funny. They've got uh, they made sure to put the sponsors on them too. That's uh, that's good. I I, I like it when people uh, when people don't miss details. I had one of those. Speaking just completely unrelated, I had one of those high school uh, high school like I don't really know this guy, but I think he went to my high school for a while. Facebook posts uh, announcing that he uh, that he uh, he and his I guess girlfriend significant other were expecting a kid. And instead of doing some gender reveal or something like that, he just posted two side-by-side photos of the two pregnancy test stripes. And I was like, you know what? This guy pays attention to the details. I'm glad I saw this on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> Threw that out on Facebook. I was like, what a what a wild move. Like, wow. he's touch, like I was like, who's holding those things? Anyway, that not not relevant. I that just I saw that like an hour ago and I was like, you know what? That guy didn't miss a detail either. What uh speaking of missing details, did we miss anything else today? I think that was about about, about all we covered it. We've gone two shows this week, and we'll probably get through a third without having just to manufacture some crap content uh, about TV show characters or something. Not crap. Yeah. That's the wrong word. Manufacture just obscure content. Yeah, that's, that's a better way to put it, I guess. But, man, there's just there's so much happening. There, there are so many... Um, I don't know if they're new stories or not, but just more examples of people trying to resume sports in some form or fashion to save themselves from financial crater. And I mean, the more these come out, the more we'll have to talk about, it, I guess it, it becomes repetitive, repetitive and redundant. And it certainly feels like most people have drawn their line in the sand and will not cross it. But uh, if these stories keep coming up, we'll keep talking about them. Borky and I will be back at it on Mailbag Friday. Get in your questions. If you got old Miss related questions about football, uh, roster attrition and basketball, maybe who that last guy they feel pretty decent about, what have you, non-old Miss related questions, golf-related questions. We all, I know that we have a couple of people that appreciate the golf talk. Uh, send them into Borky. Send them into myself. Tweet us, email us, uh, text us, whatever way you want to participate in the people's quarantine we will be back at it on Mailback Friday. I'll remind you one more time. If you're in the Oxford area, go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. There are no picks to be made right now, so Greg can feed you in the meantime. He's got steaks, custom cuts, sausages, all kinds of different stuff. If you want to uh, roll through his social media and try to figure out maybe what you're in the mood for, he's got all kinds of great pictures of, uh, of just really delicious-looking pieces of meat. So go see him, University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, he's got ready-made dishes for you to heat up and take home for you and the family or whomever if you're not wanting to go do curbside pickup or cook or whatever. But uh, daily specials, go check him out. It's absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Probably need to get Greg back on here soon. Maybe uh, if I can find some gambling lines for this uh, Taiwan and Chinese baseball league, I might make Greg pick it and see if he can still hit it 60% on that. So anyway, Borky and I will be back at it on Friday. We're on the radio this afternoon, 3 to 6, Sport Talk, Mississippi. But for Michael Borky, I am Brian Scott Rippey. We will catch you on Friday. A Super Talk, Mississippi media production.